Our scripture reading today is continuing our series in the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we are at chapter 3, and we're going to read today chapter 3, verses 15 through to 22. In the NIV version, it's entitled, The Law and the Promise. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, Let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Amen. God will bless this reading from his holy word. Now, if you do have your Bible with you this morning or you're watching online, um, please do turn back to Galatians chapter 3 and verses 15 through to 22 as we consider this passage this morning. Now, just a a recap uh, as to where we are uh, this morning with our series in Galatians because it's a few weeks uh, since we've thought about Galatians uh, or you might be coming to this anew. In the book of Galatians, over and over again, we have seen, as Paul uh, writes to this church in Galatia, that Paul's concern is the same. That a person is accepted by God through faith in Jesus and not by doing works of the law. This has been his, his repeated message over and over again. He's been trying to say, look, it's faith, it's faith, it's faith in Jesus that saves you. It's not works of the law. That's the constant refrain uh, throughout this letter. It's only faith in Jesus that can bring hope and life and salvation. And how important a message that is for us to remember. You see, we live, don't we, in a society where people generally want to think the best of themselves. 
They want to think that their good deeds will outweigh their bad deeds in the, in the final reckoning with God. And that can pervade in the church too, where we can end up believing that, that good deeds will save us rather than trusting in Jesus for our salvation. And this was the problem in the church in Galatia. They'd started well. They trusted in Jesus by faith. But now they were in danger of falling away and falling into to thinking that they were saved not by, by faith in Christ alone, but by works also. You see, remember the context here. Paul is writing to, to Christians in Galatia, an area of modern-day Turkey, and he's, he's writing to, to defend his apostleship and to defend the message that he's brought to the Christians there. You see, remember that after Paul had visited the Galatians, and they've put their faith and trust in Jesus, that there were others who had come who were saying that, that Paul wasn't a true apostle, that he was sharing a, an easy gospel, and that actually to be a true Christian, you had to follow the Mosaic law, which included the food laws and circumcision. And so Paul has been writing his letter to defend himself, to show he truly is an apostle sent by God, not by men, and also to show that it's faith in Christ which saves, not works of the law. Now, when we thought about this a few weeks ago, we saw how Paul appeals to the Galatians' experience, that it was through faith that the Galatians received the Holy Spirit, that it wasn't in following the law. And so, the Galatians should know deep in their hearts, that it's when they follow Jesus by faith, that's when the power comes. That's when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. It's not by following the works of the law. Now, in the first part of chapter 3 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, Paul introduced us to Abraham and specifically what it means to be children of Abraham, that it's not by following the law. Again, it's about faith. And this focus on Abraham is continued in the second part of chapter 3. You see, Paul's argument here is that the covenant of Abraham, one participated in by faith, was God's original design for people. And the law of Moses, in contrast, was a secondary revelation. Now, today in looking at this passage, which is not an easy passage, perhaps as you read it this morning, I've been reading this passage, trying to make sense of it in my own mind, and it's very terse and difficult to understand. But in looking at this passage today, I want to think about it in two parts. Firstly, verses 15 to 18 and then verses 19 to 22 before trying to draw things uh, together. So verses 15 to 18, first of all. In, in verse 15, Paul gives us an example in the idea of a human covenant and how when a, a human covenant has been duly established, that it can't be set aside or added to. 
Now, what Paul has in mind here is something like a will. We know that there are two things that are certain in life, don't we? What are those two things? Death and taxes. Now, death, of course, is sadly certain for all of us. And because this is the case, it's important that we get our affairs in order beforehand. And most people, hopefully, at some stage in their life, make a will. And this outlines, a will outlines what you would like to happen when you die and what your wishes would be, especially about your estate. Now, with a will, you can, you can change it over the years. You can add a codicil to it. But once it is established, it is established. It is done. And legally, when you die, your wishes must be carried out. They can't be overridden. Now here, Paul speaks of the promise made to Abraham. And what Paul is saying here is that what came later with Moses did not override the promises made to Abraham. And Paul makes this clear, saying that in Genesis 12, 13, and 24, when these promises, God makes these promises to Abraham, they are, they are made to his seed, not to his seeds. And Paul points towards this seed being Jesus Christ. And so we see, don't we, that the promise is irrevocable, that the promise overrides, in some sense, the law. And then in verses 17 and 18, Paul clarifies things further by saying that the law, introduced 430 years later, doesn't nullify the promise made to Abraham. You see, what Paul is saying here is the promise made to Abraham was duly established. It was established in the right way. It's irrevocable. It came prior to the law. This is Paul's point. Now, what I want you to notice here is how radical Paul's thinking is here. Because the whole of Judaism was based on the law of Moses. To be close to God, what did you have to do? You had to follow the Torah. You had to go to the temple. You had to make the sacrifices, or the priest would make them for you. You followed the law. And for Jews who had come to Christ, they were seeing things in that light. They saw salvation in Christ as coming from that understanding, understanding of the law. But Paul is saying here in a very radical way, this is the wrong way to look at it. It's the wrong lens to look at things, if you like. Paul is saying here that to truly understand salvation history and all that it means, that it's to Abraham that people need to look towards, not towards Moses. That we need to look towards the promises made to Abraham. And that it's always been about the covenant with Abraham, the promise made to him, leading the way to Christ. And so what Paul is making clear here is that the promise came to Abraham first. It was before the law came to Moses. And it came directly from God to Abraham 
and it preceded the law by 430 years. So what we need to see in this first part is the promise takes precedence over the law. That's Paul's major point. And the promise is fulfilled in Jesus. Now, the obvious question that leads, therefore, from this, okay, you still with me? Is why was the law given at all? If it was always about the promise and the promise is fulfilled in Jesus, why this big bit in the middle where there's the law? What's the point? Which is what Paul goes on to deal with in verses 19 and onwards in the second part of our passage today. You see, if it's always been about the promise and the covenant made to Abraham fulfilled in Christ and grasped by us by faith, what's the point of the law? Is it simply that that God had to change course or or change ideas? What's, What's going on? Paul says that the law was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Now note here, it was added. In other words, it was not the original covenant. That, of course, was to Abraham. But the law came in. Why? So that we knew what sin was. And it was brought in to to restrain sin and to bring transgressions to light. How do we know that we're not to murder anyone? Well, we see it in the law. How do we know that it's wrong to commit adultery? We see it in the law. But of course, the law is temporary in nature until the coming of the seed, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, we'll see in a a couple of weeks' time, God willing, that that doesn't mean that the law is therefore, you know, set aside. And we can just live our lives the way that we want to. There is a place for the law. But it's temporary in nature. Why? Because it doesn't bring salvation. What brings salvation? Jesus Christ. He brings salvation. In short, the law was a temporary measure, but it cannot impart life. All these sacrifices that were made in the temple. Can the shed blood of a bull take away sin? Of course it can't. But what was it pointing towards? It was pointing towards the cross. It was pointing towards Calvary. It was pointing towards Jesus. One translation puts it this way. The purpose of the law was to keep a sinful people in the way of salvation until Christ came inheriting the promises and distributing them to us. You see, the whole point of the law is to point out sin. It shows us how unholy we are. And in recognizing ourselves as sinners, it's then that we are prepared for faith in Jesus and to become heirs of God's promise. You see, when Jesus came, who did he come for? He came for sinners. How do we know we're sinners? Well, we go to the law. That's how we know we're sinners, because none of us lives up to it. You see, if we don't recognize we're sinners, there's no point in Jesus coming. But Jesus comes as our Savior, 
to save us from our sin. And as we think through this passage, not an easy passage, what are the things for us to hold on to this morning? As you're leaving from the, the church building here in West Colbride, or as you're sitting on your sofa and you're going out into the world, there's two things I want you just to think about briefly. The first thing is this, the promises of God hold firm, and they hold forever. The promises of God hold forever and are firm. And we can always trust that God's promises are true, and that God and His character is trustworthy. You see, when you look at the Bible and you look at the whole of salvation history and you see what happened in Genesis, the promises made to Abraham, and you follow it all through and you see how it's fulfilled in Christ, you realize that God is faithful. He's faithful to his promises. His character is trustworthy. And how we need to know that in our lives. You see, people will let us down. Family even can let us down. Friends can let us down. Politicians, leaders can let us down. We've seen that this week, haven't we? But God never lets us down. That's part of what Paul is saying here. It's not as if the, the promise made to Abraham was set aside. It was fulfilled. God is faithful to his promises. His promise to Abraham, fulfilled in Jesus, and to all who believe in Jesus, we receive the blessings. And so in our own situation, and maybe you're going through a difficult time at this present time, we can trust in a God who is there and a God who cares. He is faithful, faithful to his promises. The second thing I want you to think about this morning is that the law shows us what sin is, but faith in Jesus Christ brings salvation. The law cannot save. It never could save. The Jewish laws, the food laws, circumcision, the temple sacrifices, they're all a shadow of what was to come in Jesus, and they're fulfilled in Jesus. And it's in Jesus that is salvation, and in him alone. And we, in our own lives, need to make sure that we realize this. Now, sometimes we know this in our head, but it doesn't touch our hearts. And we end up just living our life, pretending, you know, trying to be a good person, trying to live up to God's standards, without just saying, Lord, I know you sent Jesus. I know Jesus fulfills the law. I know he's living a, lived a perfect life. And I know that by believing and trusting in him, that my sins are taken away. We need to realize it's Jesus who brings salvation. Martin Luther, the primary mover in the Reformation, before he was converted, was caught in a thunderstorm one night. And he was con clearly concerned for his life. It must have been quite a storm, because in the midst of the storm, he called out, as a good Catholic would, to, to St. Anne to preserve it. And Martin Luther survived the storm. And in the midst of that storm, he'd said, God, if you spare me, I will become a monk. And so Martin Luther, faithful to his promise, he became a monk. 
And he became a very good monk, if you want to put it in those terms. He plunged himself into prayer. He fasted. He went without sleep. He flagellated himself. He later commented, if anyone could have earned heaven by the life of a monk, it was I. But later on, he went on to say this, though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. I did not love. Yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. And secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God and said, as if indeed it's not enough that miserable sinners eternally lost through original sin are crushed by every kind of calamity by the law of the Decalogue without having God add pain to pain by the gospel and also by the gospel threatening us with his righteousness and wrath. Thus I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. Nevertheless, I beat importunately upon Paul at that place most ardently desiring to know what St. Paul wanted. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in it the righteousness of God is revealed, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Here I felt that I was altogether born again, and had entered paradise itself through open gates, they are a totally other face of the entire scripture showed itself to me. Now, difficult language, I understand, but you understand the point. There was Martin Luther trying to live out his life, you know, by works. And yet he still felt guilty, troubled conscience before God. And when he came to the Scriptures, meditated upon God's Word, came to a verse in uh, Romans chapter 1, he understood it was by faith that he's made righteous before God. Martin Luther realized that it was faith that brought life, not law-keeping, not by good works, what about you today? Do you understand it's faith in Jesus? Do you understand it's faith in Jesus that brings life? Maybe your whole life you've been trying to, you know, work your way with God and, you know, feeling guilty with God and, you know, never feeling, you know, that your, 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 your conscience was ever clean. Well, your conscience will never be clean if you trust in your good works. But if you believe and trust in Jesus... He's died for your sin at Calvary that you might have life. 
life in all its fullness. So today, let's trust in a God whose promises are true, a God who is faithful. And by faith, let us trust in Jesus, because salvation is found in him, and found in him alone. Amen. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word to us this day, and we recognize this is a a difficult word, not necessarily an easy passage for us to understand. But we understand the main point that Paul is making, that the promise made to Abraham came before the law, that the law was only brought in to restrain sin and to show us what sin truly was. But the promise made to Abraham was fulfilled in Jesus. And when we take hold of Jesus by faith, then we know the blessings of the promise. Heavenly Father, if today we recognize that we've been trying to earn our way with you, trying to just live out our life uh, with good works and counting up our good works against our bad works, we ask for forgiveness because we recognize that that is not the way to salvation. We thank you, Lord God, that in an amazing way, when we could not reach out to you, you reached out to us. You sent Jesus into the world, the Savior of the world. And that all we have to do for the salvation of our souls, to know life and life in all its fullness, is to take hold of Jesus by faith, to put our faith and trust in him. And then we know the joy of our salvation. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that we can trust that you're a God who is faithful to his promises, that you're a God who cares for each one of us, and we pray that we would know of your care and your compassion in our lives this day, for we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.